Hello and welcome to Seeds and Ways, a podcast. I'm the Reverend Dr. Cheryl A. Lindsay, Minister for Worship and Theology for the United Church of Christ. Today I'm sharing my reflection, The Waiting, for January 21st, 2024, the third Sunday after Epiphany, Year B, from the worship series, Arise, based on Psalm 62, verses 5 through 12, in conversation with Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and 10. Psalm 62, 5 through 12 reads, For God alone my soul waits in silence. My hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be taken. On God rest my deliverance and my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no confidence in extortion and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord, for you repay to all according to your work. In Jonah 3, 1 through 5 and 10 reads, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The waiting. Waiting is part of the human experience. We spend much of our lives waiting. In certain instances, the time horizon may be years. We look at milestones in our early years, such as learning to drive or registering to vote. Even earlier, our parents or parental figures wait as we demonstrate developmental progress by taking our first steps as we learn to walk and utter our first sounds as we grasp the fundamentals of human speech and communication. Waiting also has a role in our daily lives. If we share living space, we may need to wait our turn to use the shower or prepare our morning coffee or tea. We wait for public transportation to arrive, or we may wait in traffic as we commute to work or school. We make appointments to engage the services of professionals like physicians, mechanics, and barbers, and those time slots can often feel like an invitation to wait at an appointed time rather than a fast track to services. At the same time that we acknowledge that waiting inevitably and inherently factors in the human condition, We've developed innovations to reduce the need to wait exponentially. Microwaves, Instapots, and air fryers have reduced the time to prepare meals to minutes rather than hours. 
When we want to see someone face to face, we no longer need to employ planes, trains, or even automobiles. We can call or FaceTime or Zoom. Letters no longer get sent using Pony Express and only occasionally through what we now refer to as snail mail. Think about that. What had been an innovation in reducing the time necessary to send and receive written correspondence is now considered unbearably slow because we can send an email instantaneously, just as directly, with the same information. Waiting may well be an unavoidable aspect of life, but we've done our best to get around it with significant success. That reality makes it more challenging to identify with the words of the psalmist as they acknowledge, affirm, and even celebrate the waiting. The passage opens with a declaration, For God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. While we often use the word soul synonymously with spirit, the original audience would have held a more expansive understanding. Quote, The word nefesh, soul, in this psalm, as elsewhere in the Old Testament, is simply another way the psalmist refers to himself. It does not refer to a spiritual or immortal principle that enters the body at birth and leaves it at death. Nefesh has no existence apart from the body. After death, the nefesh ceases to exist. Any weakening of the bodily functions, such as through hunger or thirst, is also described as the pouring of the nefesh. It is the usual term for a man's total nature, the Hebrew man being regarded as a unity and not composed of a physical and a spiritual separate from one another. When nefesh is not referring to the whole person, it means nothing more than a distinction between that which is living and that which is dead. It is the unimportance of nefesh that is really significant for Christian belief. End quote. David Bland. Waiting does not include compartmentalization. There's no splitting mind, body, and soul, for all are captured and contained within the soul. All wait for the Holy One in trust and hope. This is how the psalm begins, and the pronouncement is repeated in the first verse of this passage. Repetition always signifies emphasis. If the audience retains anything from this psalm, it is that the waiting is an active expression of hope and trust in God beyond circumstance. Quote, Whereas the psalm's imagery and expression of trust are characteristic of the Psalter, the form of the poem is distinctive. Some type of crisis is in the picture, including enemies, but the psalm does not take the traditional form of the lament psalm or the thanksgiving psalm. It has some connections with wisdom, given its instructional dimensions. Most of the psalm speaks about God and trust in God. God is not addressed until the concluding verse with an expression of trust. The best way forward for readers of the text may well be to think of it as an expression of trust in God in the face of difficulty. The psalm's basic literary structure is tied to what appears to be a refrain in verses 1 and 2 and verses 5 and 6. Following the opening expression of trust, the psalm addresses the enemies. Verses 5 through 7, with the second use of the refrain, returns to the expression of trust. The final verses, verses 8 through 12, address the community based on the expressions of trust in the first seven verses. The psalm contains complaint, as is characteristic of ancient Israel's prayer, but there is no petition. The psalm addresses God at the end, but with an expression of trust that appears to be the focus of the poem. 
end quote. Walter Brueggemann and W.H. Bellinger, Jr. The progression of the addressee in the text also reflects the messy reality of trust. The psalmist seems to engage in self-talk, public exhortation, and direct address to the Holy One. All may be necessary for the message to be embedded in the soul of the person and the people. Trust does not arise without tension, conflict, or uncertainty. Maintaining a faithful posture is hard work. In a recent conversation with a friend, they made the statement that they don't like faith. I laughed and responded that no one does. As they said, they would prefer to walk by sight. Epiphany commemorates the revelation of God, the unveiling of the presence of the divine in the world, and the public coming out of the embodied one. Inherent in the celebration is the joy that the wait for those moments has ended. The glory has been revealed. But before the moment arrived, generations, over centuries, waited in silence. The intertestamental period lasted for centuries while the people waited in hope for the promised Messiah. That time is often described as a period marked by God's silence, yet extra-biblical literature challenges that claim. Perhaps the silence of roughly half a millennia was that of a people who had internalized the opening, opening declaration of this passage. Waiting actively is at best a movement in silence. The gospel passage the psalm accompanies includes Jesus calling for repentance and calling disciples to follow him on a shared journey. This is what they've been waiting for as demonstrated by their swift and uncomplicated acceptance of the invitation. Like Peter, Andrew, James and John in the gospel, the people of Nineveh in the Old Testament text receive the divine message. While Jonah shares the message of impending doom, the people actually hear the call to turn back to God. The prophet actually has less faith in the redemptive and gracious nature of the Holy One than the people he was sent to inform of God's perspective on their lives. In both the Old Testament and Gospel readings, when they hear the news, they receive it and believe it, and they repent. They demonstrate their hope and trust in God's redemptive love and compassion, and God changes their mind because God's hopes have been satisfied. The story of Nineveh, like the words of the psalm, forge a testimony of hoping and trusting in God. The psalmist believes they may find rest in the Holy One because God is faithful, even through the waiting. Quote, finding rest is perhaps misleading, God can certainly give rest to the weary, a chance for repose and recuperation, but something rather different is David's conviction here. What he states in verse 1 and reminds himself to ensure in verse 5 is that his soul is silent, or still, in God's presence. Silence, too, may not seem quite the right word, since he obviously has plenty more he wants to say. He will indeed be encouraging others to pour out their hearts to God, as he has poured out his at other times. But then we notice that scarcely more than a single verse out of the 12 is addressed to God. Perhaps David's prayers were done before he began the psalm. Prayers of confusion, Lord, I don't know what to say. Prayers of exhaustion, Lord, I don't know what else to say. The point of these verses, however, is not that the mouth should cease to speak, but that the mind should compose itself to stillness. It aims to get beyond the earthquake, wind, and fire of Horeb to the sound of sheer silence, to have the divine rebuke to the storm on Galilee bring about a great calm. There one begins to see God's way, and the facts come into focus. 
End quote. Michael Wilcox. The waiting has purpose beyond developing human patience. The waiting enables communion and familial connection with the divine. The waiting makes room for clarity and vision. The waiting cultivates trust and hope. The waiting allows time for development and progression so that what has been hidden may arise and be revealed. Embrace the waiting. Thank you for joining me on Seeds and Ways. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can find the full sermon seeds entry, including a suggested congregational response, quotes for further reflection, voices of African descent, and the roadmap for the entire season on ucc.org. Sermon Seeds also has a Facebook page where I do Facebook Live process videos in preparation for the reflection and share updates and links for Sermon Seeds and Worship Ways. Follow us there and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. I pray that this tool provides a seed that will bear fruit in your faith community as you proclaim the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.